Obviously, you've come to the Leading Saints podcast because you love podcasts and you love consuming content in this manner, uh, listening to a pre-recorded conversation or interview or presentation. And we get a lot of good stuff here, but nothing compares to an in-person retreat experience. This is one thing I've learned in the last few years that we are infusing into our Leading Saints content is the need for in-person experiences, also known as retreats. So Leading Saints has started putting on retreats, both for men, women. We're going to play around with couples retreats and we'll try it all. But retreats are a transformational experience. And I implore you to go check out leadingsaints.org slash gathering, where we list all of the upcoming retreats. Some are open to register. Others you can get on a waiting list. But we would love to have you at the next in-person retreat. Now, if you can't afford it, if there may be, if you price out of these opportunities. Don't worry. We have very generous donors willing to put up money for scholarships. So either go there, check it out, register or apply for a scholarship. And we'd love to have you the next Gathering Saints retreat put on by Leading Saints. So go to leadingsaints.org slash gathering to check out the upcoming Gathering Saints retreats. Hey, welcome to the Leading Saints podcast. Now, for many of you that are brand new uh, to Leading Saints, it's important that you know that Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization, 501c3, dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through content creation. We get so much positive feedback on the podcast, our virtual conferences, the articles on our website. You definitely got to check it out at leadingsaints.org. And on their homepage at leadingsaints.org, you can actually find the top six most downloaded episodes to the podcast. So if you're new, like the content, want to jump in to some of our most popular episodes, head there after you listen to this episode. I always love when I get emails from the listening audience and they say, hey, Kurt, check out this guy, this gal. You should interview him. And uh, it turns out to be a phenomenal interview. And that's what happened in this upcoming interview you're about to hear. Shout out to Caleb Skidmore, who put in the email, did some legwork, helped me arrange the interview with Brant Hansen. Now, many of you probably are not familiar with Brant Hansen, but I'm excited to introduce you to him today. He is a Christian author, also has a podcast, radio show, and I think in the broader Christian world, he's more well-known, but he recently wrote a book called Unoffendable, How Just One Change Can Make All of Life Better. And we talk about concepts of forgiveness, concepts of avoiding anger, why there's never a reason to be angry or offended. And uh, the scriptures back that up. Listen for the vision that Brandt casts for all the Christian world that uh, what if Christians were known as people you can't offend? And man, I love that. I can lean into that. I want to be that type of person because Jesus was that type of person. Now, of course, we talk about uh, you know boundaries and not being a pushover. That's not what this is about. We should not be pushovers as Christians or as Latter-day Saints. But defaulting to anger, defaulting to offense is also not helpful. And then how do we as leaders help individuals go through this process of forgiveness? Because, man, it's so easy to write down on paper, but to implement it in a life, especially somebody who's been abused or received some of the vilest of, of actions against them, how can they not be the victim? How can they not hold that anger so closely to their heart? Well, there is a concept of empathy that Brandt shares in this, I think is worth the interview alone. Listen for that near the end of the episode. So let's get into it. Here's my interview with Brand Hansen, the author of Unoffendable, How Just One Change Can Make All of Life Better.
Brant Hansen. Welcome to the Leading Saints podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, this is cool. I want to give a shout out to uh, Caleb Skidmore, who's one of our listeners. I didn't really know Caleb before this, but he reached out and said, hey, you got to check out this Brant guy. And I'm like, who's Brant? And uh, but I'm grateful <laughs> he introduced me to you and your work. And and I had the opportunity to read your most recent book called Unoffendable, How Just One Change Can Make All of Life Better. So for those in this listening audience who may not be familiar with you, your career and what you do, put yourself into context. Oh, gosh. So I'm a radio guy. I meant to be a baseball announcer, but I can't see very well in a dog. Oh, really? I mean, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So I wound up doing like I was like less masculine kind of newsman. And then gradually they just left me on more after I would do my newscasts, these different stations. And then I, I wound up being a host. And then they syndicated the show. So we're on a couple hundred stations across the country. Awesome. Uh, and yeah, it's worked out really well. I didn't plan any of it. And then I started writing books seven or eight years ago. And that's gone well, thank the Lord. So cool. Yeah, that's me. nice. And I'm a husband, been married 33 years, got two grown kids. Yeah. Wonderful. And what are the typical topics you cover on your radio show? Everything, man. Like a lot of it is I'm deeply trying to encourage people. Like it's, airs on Christian music stations across the country. Hmm. We do a podcast too. So I talk a lot about spiritual stuff, like just to encourage people because there's so little actual encouragement that happens in our culture. And we cover things like forgiveness and like actual Jesus stuff. And then about half of the show is me attempting to be funny in some way that doesn't <laughs> always work, but that's the train wreck part of it's kind of fun. So yeah, so that's what we do. <laughs> nice. Yeah, definitely. As I, uh, I listened to your book and you, you read the, the audio book and your wit comes out really, oh, <laughs> really strong. And I appreciate that. So that's great. Thanks. And now I have to ask, you know, we're, our audience is generally leaders in the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. Most people know us as Mormons. Do you have any awkward, funny, and again, the theme of this episode is be unoffendable. So even if they're offensive, any yeah. interaction with missionaries or, or members of our church that come to mind? That's that's very cool of you to ask. I remember sitting on a plane, it, none, nothing scandalous or horrible, but I remember sitting on a plane recently with a guy who was coming out of Central America after his mission. Oh, cool. And just the, the degree to which he was asking me like, okay, so what happened with Trump? Or what happened with this? What happened with like, <laughs> like current events? He had been so good about not dialing into the news he wanted yeah. it all on the plane like tell me what happened the last two years i thought that was fascinating <laughs> yeah the second thing which i think is funny is there's another brant hansen and he spells it with an o-n so i'm uh -huh. brant hansen with an e-n i think he's lds i'm not sure but he lives in utah and he's a city manager and a consultant <laughs> but his email address is just that one letter different so you get all his mail huh <laughs> yes so we have become friends like he gets my mail. He sends it to me. I've had book contracts and stuff sent to him. I've had city contracts sent to me for this town in Utah where he is. And so he's like, Hey, how can I pray for you or whatever? And I'll send him something. And he's like, how's your family doing? But it's just kind of funny because we only know each other from just having the same name and getting our email. Confused. Oh, I love it. But it's been, yeah, it's funny. Awesome. And are you a lifelong Christian or how do you articulate your religious experience? Yeah, I was raised with in a pastor's home. It's very difficult. This is like uh, in Illinois and Indiana, little small towns. Honestly, my dad was was um, his pastor, but there's a lot of hypocrisy and trauma in our home. Put it mm. put it mildly, a lot. So for me to be a Christian, it's overcoming a lot of skepticism. And honestly, being so skeptical, I've been chased back around to Jesus because I don't think anything else works. Hmm. That's just me. So. Yeah. 
that's my background. And I get to work with an outfit called Cure International Children's Hospitals. And I only mention that because what they do is heal kids, give them top-notch surgeries in poor countries around the world. And I visit these hospitals and then they tell them about the gospel. Mm-hmm. So it's really remarkable. But to me, that makes sense. A lot of the, a lot of church culture stuff, I, I don't understand. I don't get the connection, but healing, t- talking about the kingdom of God to me is really beautiful and profound. And so as, as somebody who needs to see Jesus like an action, that's been really big for me as an adult. I've been really involved with that. Wow. And, you know, I'd like to like to think that, you know, that's the pastor children's that had the, the smoothest life, right? The most normal life. But unfortunately, that story is often all too common, right? Man, it sure is. And so a lot of people will just leave the faith or something. And again, for me, I'm just like, look, okay, what are the alternatives to Jesus? And I don't like him. Yeah. I don't think they make sense. And I love how he calls out human nature in ways like our, our own addiction, our own self-righteousness and the way we fool ourselves. And he just... He's really brilliant. He's like the only one who acknowledges human sin and then does something about it. Yeah. Like, I don't right. know where else, I don't know where else to go for something like that. Where else do you go? Yeah. Cause you either pretend that we're okay. And even though the world's, you know, broken or you don't know what to do, you're just despairing, but he's, he's like acknowledging it and then giving us a basis for hope. And I don't see an alternative to that. Yeah. Love that. And you mentioned something earlier that, that struck me a little bit, cause this is uh, something I've thought about. You said that you often, you know, through your content, your radio program, you offer, trying to offer a message of encouragement. And it's easy to assume on paper, on paper, well, doesn't, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ just naturally do that, but it doesn't, right? Like, how would you unpack, why did you say offering encouragement? Well, it does, it does, but we have to be reminded of everything. We're like, I've read like Daniel Kahneman, this Nobel winning cognitive scientist saying humans are forgetting machines. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's basic things that maybe you had talked about on your own podcast last year and you go back and listen to it and you're like, Oh my gosh, that was a really good point I made. I didn't remember <laughs> yeah, that. No, like, so isn't it? And so like in the Bible, like God's people, he's got a covenant with his people. He's like, look, wrap things around your wrist, put things on the doorway, whatever it takes, remind yourself that I'm your God. Now they've seen him do miracles, but even they need a daily reminder we forget. So I think that's the genius of radio is that I can remind people of things that they knew, but they forgot. Yeah, And we have to keep reminding ourselves of this stuff over and over. And I think that's what real encouragement looks like. Yeah. And this is connected to your most recent book, Unoffendable, where the just this concept of we sometimes get uh, stagnant in our Christian life and we begin to use it as sort of a stick to beat people with rather than this encouraging message, right? Like there's... Yeah. 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 So a lot of that is forgetfulness. And I I didn't really... You make a great point. I probably should have included more of that in the book, actually. But it's like... (laughs) A lot of us actually have forgotten what God has done for us. I mean, if we sign off on this Calvary thing, if we believe that, okay, that was, I'm involved with this execution of this innocent man, the son of God. All right. Well, that was for me then. Given that, how do I turn around then and hold this righteous anger against other people when I've been forgiven for that? Right. So I forgive people out of that thing. But if we forget what God has done for us or it slips from the front of our minds, we become judgmental people by nature. Yeah. That's what we do. But you have to keep going back to this, this whole idea about forgiveness. It doesn't happen unless you keep going back to the basis of your own gratitude. Like what God has done for me on the basis of that, I'm going to forgive people. Not because they deserve it because they don't. I forgive them because I didn't deserve it. Yeah. 
right? So that if we forget that, we have to be reminded of it so that we can drink that in and, and be grateful for it. And that's what gives us the strength to actually go ahead and, and be a peacemaker, like you guys have been talking about, or, or to forge peace. We have to be at peace ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, the power of grace, right? You mentioned this in your book of just, you know, remembering the grace that we've received so that we can offer it to others. And if we don't remember that grace that we've received, it's so easy to to forget about the yeah. what we need to offer to others. Right? Yeah, yeah. So you have to call that back to mind repeatedly. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of scripture like that, too. Like in the Old Testament, there's lamentations where it's like, and yet I will call this back to mind. In spite of everything that's happened, God's good. That's why I'm not consumed. His love endures forever. His mercies are new every morning. Or David talking to himself and saying, why so downcast, my soul? Put your trust in God. Like you're literally reminding yourself. I have to forgive these people, not because they're, they've said they're sorry. Most people won't say they're sorry. I have to forgive people because what God's done for me, it's an act of worship to him. But if I let that slip from my mind and I'm not grateful, it's very difficult to forgive people. Of course you won't. It's just, it's not a natural thing to do at all. Yeah. So take us back to the the beginning of the the inklings of of the book that, that came to be unoffendable. Why did you start down this path of writing this book? This is the least inspiring story that you'll ever hear. But <laughs> I've always like, I need to write. I've always wanted to write a book or whatever. That's one. I can't do a lot of stuff real good. Like I can't fix things or anything, but I like I can write, but I never wrote a book. And I read a Seth Godin book. I don't know if you know who he is. Oh yeah. Marketing guy. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, he, he wrote a book called Lynchpin and then it, he's, he's self-describing himself. Like he's like, I'm not a very good writer. But at least I get it done. Most people, they're like, oh, I'm going to write this masterpiece. And they never do it. But he's like, I'd rather ship something that, that is mediocre, where I actually send it, hit send or ship it off. I finish the product and it's mediocre. I'd rather do that than just have a, be a perfectionist and never get anything done. And I was like, that's a great point. I'm going to go write a chapter about something at the coffee shop. I'm not going to get up from this coffee shop to get another coffee or even go to the bathroom. I'm going to write a chapter that's terrible about something. But I'm going to finish the chapter and then I'm going to write a second chapter and I'm going to send it to a publisher. And at least I could say, at least I sent it. And then Harper Collins got back to me like, we like this. So I thought it was mediocre, but I started writing about anger and forgiveness. That's just the first thing I started thinking about. And that became this book. So yeah, I literally just sat down and like, I have to, I'm going to write something no matter how bad it is, but at least I'm going to get it done. Yeah, I love it. Well, that 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 works. You know, you just lean okay, in good. and let God guide you, right? So yeah, that's, that's cool. it. Honestly, yeah, yeah, no big plan. I ask God to help me have the resources I need for today, each day, and then anything that comes out of that is really neat because it's obviously He did it. Because I really don't have a big plan. I don't know what I'm doing really, and um, that's been neat to see. I bet. Yeah. Now talking about, you know, anger and forgiveness, this is, I really appreciated your approach and how you introduced this concept and helped me frame it differently to be more self-reflective on how I approach anger, how I perceive anger, especially anger of, you know, from quote unquote God or anger from myself when I feel justified. And recently in our last general conference, the president of our church, I sent the link to this talk called Peacemakers Wanted or Peacemakers, I forget, but this was sort of a, a hallmark talk that people have talked have been talking about ever since. And it's easy in, when we talk about these things, about forgiveness, about anger, to point at the other guy and be like, hey, guess what? I got a talk for you. I got a book that you need to read and let me get <laughs> right. it to you. And even uh, President Nelson in this talk sort of jokes about that. Like, I'm sure you're thinking of all these people that need to hear this talk, yeah. but I'm talking to you. So what tell us about that dynamic is sometimes we we project these gospel principles on others. Right. So that's the problem, right? Like we all think our anger is righteous. 
Because that's what we grow up with. And this is why this book is so counterintuitive. And I hope people read it. Obviously, I hope it it's really genuinely sets people free. I've seen this happen. Mm-hmm. Because we're not taught about anger. When you grow up in the church, even, they'll tell you there's righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Well, you're supposed to hang on to the righteous anger because that's righteous. You should have righteous anger about all this stuff that you should be righteously angry about. Now, the unrighteous anger, you should get rid of that. Nobody thinks their anger is unrighteous. Right. I mean, let's just start. Let's just start there. The second and shocking thing, and I know this is completely counterintuitive. There's gonna be people listening to this, never having heard this message ever before. They're gonna be like, "That cannot be true." But what I'm about to tell you, I promise. Look it up. There's nothing in the Bible about human righteous anger. The only time anger is righteous in the Bible is when it's God's. Mm-hmm. So Jesus can get angry. God can get angry. He is angry. You know, that does happen. Jesus get, gets angry in the, in the temple and God is angry at different places and in several places, but his anger is righteous. Ours isn't. There's no point in scripture where we're told that anger is good for us. There's one verse that people memorize that I've had taught to me growing up and it's in Ephesians and it says, in your anger, do not sin. Mm-hmm. And so people say, oh, it says anger is not sin. Therefore, it must be good. That's not what it says. It says, in your anger, do not sin. And then there's the rest of the verse that no one memorizes. And the rest of the verse, and be sure to get rid of it before the sun goes down. Hmm. So even when it says, in your anger, do not sin, it's like, you need to drop this like it's the like it's the ring into the cracks of doom because it's going to destroy you. So anger happens. It's an emotion. It's a response to threat. It's not necessarily sin in and of itself, but you're not entitled to it to hang on to it. It's actually meant for fight or flight to give you a physiological reaction that helps you avoid a threat or deal with it. You're not supposed to keep it in your system, but only humans are capable of doing that. It actually has terrible physiological consequences. It will make you look older. It'll affect your skin. It'll put on weight. It keeps adrenaline and cortisol in the system. It causes spikes in blood pressure. Insulin levels are different. There's a whole list, a raft of physiological changes that happen because we keep anger in our system when it's supposed to be just an instantaneous thing to help you get away from a threat. Hmm. It should last for like 30 seconds, but then I got to be about forgiveness. So we're supposed to get rid of it before the sun goes down because that's good for us to get rid of it. And the people who are like, no, anger is righteous. It's, there's nowhere, there's nothing in the fruit of the spirit where it's like love, joy, peace, anger, goodness, like (laughs) anger is not in that list. Yeah. Yeah. It's in all the other lists. Right. So it's weird, though, that we've twisted it. Once you understand that, okay, anger happens, but I'm supposed to forgive, those physiological changes don't happen to you. You're actually healthier. Anger doesn't interfere with your relationships. You can actually think more clearly. You can actually address injustice and wrong and the evil in our culture. You can, you can address that from a clear mind. You're much better equipped for life this way. So. That's the upshot from the book is I'm, I'm saying this, this forgiveness thing. If you're somebody who is a Jesus follower, you have to forgive everybody because of what he's done for you. It even says, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Yeah. So this is a way of life. And I, so in the book, I try to outline, here's what happens when you actually do this. This is a livable thing where you can actually forgive everybody, even in advance and be at peace. Your life will be at peace. This is the way to do it. Being a Christian, it shouldn't just mean secular people are so angry. We'll just be angry about different stuff. Like that's not, <laughs> yeah. the, that's not the difference, right? So yes, it's hard. I tell people this, Dallas Willard said it, it's hard to forgive, but what's harder is living a life of unforgiveness. Yeah. That's yeah. a terrible way to live and it distorts your personality and, and you become this bitter old person. Like, I don't want to do that. So that's, uh, 
again, it's counterintuitive. It's maybe something you've never heard before, but but take me up on it and look in the Bible and see if I'm not right. Yeah, I love it. Love it. And is there something about 2023 or modern times that makes this a more poignant message? I think so. I think obviously social media is a, I mean, human nature has stayed the same, right? Mm-hmm. But social media has been so tribal and the 24 seven news networks are so pervasive in shaping what people are thinking about. I have to be proactive in bringing my mind back to what's, what's true, what's noble, what's right, what's pure, what's lovely, what's admirable, what's excellent and praiseworthy, or else I will lapse into anger all the time. And I see this happen, especially with older people who are believers, but they camp out in front of the news and they're angry all the time. And they should be the ones that we are looking to for wisdom and a listening ear and they're at peace, right? But no, they've decided they don't want the peace thing. They want to just be worked up by their favorite network. And I think we're really missing out because of that. So I think the constant haranguing of the news and Twitter and and the media, there's plenty of things to be angry about. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a, there's a million wrong things going on. That's just it. You can be bitterly angry the rest of your life. There'll be plenty of reasons. Or you can be a person who's different and addresses evil by taking action and not just patting yourself on the back because you tweeted about it. Yeah. So, that's yeah. what Jesus uh-huh. asked us to do is be different, right? Yeah. And this is a good opportunity right? to do that. Yeah, and we can do it because we because of the gospel, because we can remind ourselves of that, what God's done for us. So for me to look at my neighbor and not be rooting for him or be angry with him, it's that doesn't make any sense given what Jesus has done for me. Yeah. Yeah. So when you walk this out, when you actually live this way, it's weird because I'm a Pharisee by nature. I mean, I'm, I name my son Justice. Like that's who I am. I'm judgmental by nature. I like things being set right. But when I live a life of forgiveness where I'm forgiving people before the day even starts. People now want to hang out with me. That's not always been the case. Like, <laughs> cause they can tell I like them and I'm not, and I'm rooting for them. And I genuinely yeah. am like, we become the least judgmental people because we're so grateful for what God's done for us that we like people more. We're not scandalized and sickened by everybody. Like the, our neighbors, we're rooting for them. So they may have a totally different view of life. They may do things that I think are morally wrong. I may do things they think are wrong. I have beliefs they think are, but, but I'm loving them and I'm rooting for them and they want to hang out with me. And that did not happen before. Yeah. You know, one thing that comes to mind that, especially as I, a few months ago, as I heard that, that Peacegiver talk that came to mind is it's so, I think the first step of embracing this message is making sure that you're not pointing at other people, but you're observing yourself where it's so easy to, to look at social media and, be, and say, oh, finally, you know, brand and President Nelson, they're they're finally addressing the ridiculous anger on social media. I mean, everybody's so angry. And and you make observation in your book, like you walk through a restaurant listening to conversations, people are gonna talk about how other people are offensive or other people are angry. And little do you hear about people confessing their own struggle with anger. But right. it really does have to begin of of this is about me and nobody else, right? Yeah. So I never see Jesus because he's got he's got all these groups that are wanting him to point his finger at the other groups. Yeah. Or another person for being a sinner or breaking the rule or set them straight. He never does that for them. He always turns it back on them. You notice that? Yeah. And then he tells a story about the unmerciful servant who's been forgiven a lot by the king. And then someone owes him a little bit after he's been forgiven this huge amount. He turns around and won't forgive this person who owes him a little. And that makes the king really angry. And then the king punishes him for not being forgiving. He's like, I forgave you all this. Well, Jesus is telling that story. Who are we in that story? 
we're that unmerciful servant. Like if we don't forgive people, don't we realize what God's done for us? So like this is a constant way to force yourself into humility and gratitude is to constantly be forgiving people because you have to return to that basis. Like, look what God did for me. That reminds me of what I've done, what he's forgiven me for. It makes me really thankful. So when somebody cuts me off in traffic, like what, what in the, if I was just let off death row, I say this in, in the book too. Like if I was just let off death row, I thought I was going to be sentenced to death, but now I get to go home and see my family. The sky is blue. I get to live. As I'm driving home from the courthouse, somebody cuts me off. I'm not like, oh, you jerk. I can't believe you did that. Like, there's not going to be any road rage because I'm so thankful. Yeah. Yeah. And when you practice this, when you actually, like, traffic's great forgiveness practice because it's really low leverage, right? Like, no one's really doing anything that bad. They're just being rude. Yeah. If I could practice this forgiveness thing, it gets easier and easier and it becomes a way of life. And then it becomes something where you don't even think about it that much. It's like, you just don't get mad. So it sounds crazy. This is not Zen Buddhism. I'm not talking about detaching yourself. What I am saying is that when you practice the way of Jesus, you become more like him. That's just discipleship. It's a beautiful thing. You'll find yourself reacting differently because you've been practicing this. It just becomes more second nature. Yeah. Not perfect by any stretch, but it's more second nature. Yeah, they even become the man that is hanging on a cross and says, forgive them for they know not what they do, right? Like that is right. remarkable. It's remarkable. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, good yeah. point. And there's something about, I don't know if it's like a dopamine hit, but there's something about that victim mentality, right? That once we get there or we feel offended, like we don't just want to feel it and we almost don't just want to behave from it in a negative way, but we want to like tell others about it. Like, let me tell you how I was, I've been the victim today and- I don't know. It feels good in the brain, but not in a, not in a godly way. <laughs> it does feel good. It is very natural because it, we do actually get a dopamine hit from being right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or when we think we're right. That's why getting likes and like on political comments and people feel like, yeah, or we like when someone says something that we already agree with, but they just said it slightly differently. Yep. We're like, yeah, <laughs> gives me a dopamine hit. And that becomes anything with dopamine gets addictive. We can be addicted to being aggrieved because it's like, I'm so right. And since we've learned falsely, in my view, that there is this thing called righteous anger, literally I'm being righteous by being angry about what you did to me. Yeah. Like it, I'm morally superior. Well, that feels really good. So it's, it, it's again, you have to humble yourself again and say, you know what? I may be right, but I still am forgiving this person. I need to pray for this person so my heart changes. Mm -hmm. And what happens in those in those interactions, like online arguments or whatnot, if somebody's rude and you respond with a kind word, like, hey, Bob, you know, I appreciate your point of view. How are your kids doing, by the way? Mm -hmm. Your temperature will drop. Your blood pressure will drop when you hear yourself responding in a kind way. Because a gentle answer turns away wrath, it says in Proverbs. That's not just Bob's wrath. That's my wrath. When I pray for somebody who's my enemy or somebody's driving me crazy. I can feel my own heart changing. So when Jesus is saying, love your enemies or forgive people who've done these things to you, it's for your own good. It changes you. He's telling us this to set us free, right? Because somebody may be dead or they can't say, I'm sorry, you'll never see him again. You need to forgive them so that they don't haunt you the rest of your life. It sets you free. So everything Jesus tells us that seems so hard, it's like, it's actually an easier way. His, his way is actually easier. Yeah. Absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, social media, this is, it keeps coming back to this because I think if people, I don't know, people may say, you know, anger or offense is, is on the, on the rise. However, I often wonder 
that maybe it's the the platforms we use, right? That it, it's almost like social media is constructed in a way that can only, it's more likely to stimulate offense than anything else, right? And it's almost inescapable. Right. It's hard to avoid it altogether. But oftentimes, like you mentioned, if you want a shift in your life to avoid it altogether, I mean, I, I often compare it to like a drug house. Like if you walked into a drug house looking for good conversation, <laughs> right. don't be surprised when you walk out offended. It's like, well, of course you walked into a drug house. You know what I mean? Like, right. And that's what shows social media can be sometimes. There's this addiction quality to it. People want to return to it. They want the the jab or the snarky remark and it sort of feels good. But then the guy returns the punch, right? Through his comment. Right. And so and sometimes it's like crazy. the best way we can follow Christ sometimes is just take a break from it and remove yourself totally. from these conversations. So smart. And to not be shocked again by people who do like to be continually shocked at people is a strange way to live. Right. Because it's like, I can't believe what my boss said. Your boss has always said stuff like that. <laughs> I can't believe what my mom said. How long has she been saying it? 74 years. Okay. So now believe it. <laughs> right. I can't believe what that news anchor from that one channel said. You can't, that guy, that lady's been saying that nonstop for 20 years. You can't yeah. believe. So I think a lot, a lot of times we go back to it because we do like to be affirmed and we like our tribe ganging up on somebody. But if you are on social media, I would say this, try it as an experiment in returning evil with kindness. Yeah. You know, your own, you let your own tone be, be radically different. Go in it as an experiment and watch what that does to your heart because that's a totally different way of living. Yeah. So, yeah. Well. Yeah. I've, it's a, an intentional goal I've set in my life that, you know, it's hard. Again, I'm, I'm on social media a little bit. You know, it's always interesting to hear what's going on in the lives of loved ones and family and whatnot. But I've sort of made it a rule that I don't post even good, good posts because sometimes that can go sour. <laughs> I totally and, hear you. Yeah. And I don't right. comment. And sometimes I'll glance at it, but I'm like, I'm just not going to get in the mud with people, even with, well, with good intentions, you know? So, yes, that's what, that is well one wisdom. And, uh, I highly like, cause if you do get dragged in, let's say somebody responds something stupidly to something you just meant to be encouraging or something right, like, yeah. well, now, now you're in a conflict and that means you're sitting at dinner with your family. You're thinking about that. Right. Cause that's the way conflict does. It just sticks in your head. That's a dumb way to live. Like, you don't want that. You want to be right. able to focus on the people who are physically in your life. Right. Like, it'd be, it'd be a shame to have generic, you know, egg guy on Twitter get in your head when your three-year-old just needs you to push a tricycle around or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, back in 1995, we could go to church with people and never know of their awful opinions. But now we, like, go to church... We smile, we're friendly, <laughs> then we go home. We think, I can't believe that person thinks that way. And I wish <laughs> exactly I didn't know right. it, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, doggone it. I wanna, yeah. yeah, that's just it. I've, I've told people, like, try to remember that person as they were offline. Yeah. Yeah. There's an online reality and there's an offline reality. And, um, yeah, I, I like the offline one. So, I, I love this that you walked us through in the beginning of this book, just completely removing anger from the table of options. And, you know, maybe God can be angry. Sure, that's his his deal. But for us, there's no righteous anger because we will always default to that. It'll always feel justified when anger swells up with us. And so by taking off the table, we can notice the anger and say, hmm, maybe I need to process what's happening here and remove the offense that I feel coming on. And it's, it's yes. awesome. And you, you say in the book this quote, what if Christians were known as people you can't offend? I'm like, wow, what a wonderful vision you're casting for Christians. What if we were those people who you couldn't offend even if you tried? So this has been really interesting to live out. So 
it has been weird. Like we've moved into a neighborhood. I won't get too much into the details, but our next door neighbors were determined to scandalize us. They just could not believe they lived next door to evangelical Christian, whatever, whatever they determined mm-hmm. we are people who take Jesus seriously. And like they were into, we're going to smoke pot and blow it over your house. You know, there are, we're right next to him. Like our windows are right next to him. Brownstone urban core. Uh-huh. She was into Wicca and she made a point of that or oh, wow. witchcraft stuff. He was, you know, despised Christianity and all that stuff. The woman hit on my wife while they were doing some crocheting together, whatever. Wow. <laughs> and all of it was really, it was very childlike. It was like, I'm going to poke you to see how you respond. And they just, they thought the Christianity thing was ridiculous. So here's what happened. We're out on the sidewalk in front of our house, getting ready to go to Panera or something. We had to park right there because it's on the street. And our next door lady was crying. And my wife's like, hey, hang on. I got in the car. She's like, hang on. She went to talk. So I'm watching out of the rearview mirror. And I see them hugging. And they're talking for a while. Then my wife comes back and she's in tears. And so our neighbor, the guy, had just had a heart attack, apparently. And so his girlfriend, this woman who had been this way with us, standing there and she was crying. My wife said, can can I pray for you? And she said, yes. Hmm. And so my wife's praying with her. So all of that needling, all of that, like, look at me, this witchcraft. I do this. I do that. I'm, you don't want to hang around with people like us. We're the bad people. Like we didn't flinch and I don't flinch. I'm not surprised by that. I know people are given to this stuff, but I also have nothing to fear. Mm -hmm. Right. So the weird thing is, People don't know what to do with you, and then they're drawn to you. Right. Yeah, especially when that, that window opens, right? And, and they need yes, help or support, th- and you're right there for them. Think about the wider culture. No one is that way. Like, everybody's so judgmental that we get more irreligious. We get more judgmental. There's more self-righteousness on Twitter. There's more, like, but if you're different, if you actually live this out, where you're like, I'm not going to be scandalized by anyone. I already know people are broken. There's scripture about Jesus about Jesus said, but Jesus knew what they were thinking. No one had to tell Jesus what men were like. That's what it said. Like, if I'm a Jesus follower, I know what people are like. I got it. I know I'm, I know what I'm like. I'm a sinner, right? So I'm not mm-hmm. going to be scandalized that these other people are sinners. Like, and that difference is magnetic to people because they they want someone to love them and know them. Yeah. And not flinch. It's powerful. Yeah. And now on the other side, you're also not making argument that we all should be boundaryless uh, pushovers, right? Heck no. Heck no. (laughs) Absolutely not. And and, um, that's just it. Like forgiveness actually presumes that there's a real right and a real wrong and a real hurt. It's not glossing over. It's not stuffing it down. It's actually dealing with the hurt to forgive people. And that's the opposite of just stuffing it. You have to deal with it and that forgiveness process. And you have to enter into this gratefulness for what God has done for you. And that's why you forgive this person. If I had little kids in the house, it'd be different with how we dealt with our neighbors, honestly. But Mm -hmm. we didn't at this point. Kids are adults. So that changed it. The other thing is, like, if I'm not going to forgive people, I don't know where that option is presented by Jesus. I don't see that as an option. So thirdly. I'm for taking action against evil. I'm not for backing off against evil. I'm for, for protecting the vulnerable, doing what it takes. 
But this is just the point. If people are like, well, I have to be angry to correct injustice. No, you don't. Martin Luther King Jr. agrees with me on this issue. I mean, or me with him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, same thing. It's like, you still take action. We want our police to take action. We don't want them doing it out of anger. That's when they're bad at their jobs. We don't want judges meeting out justice out of anger. We don't want our military acting out of anger. Like anger clouds your judgment. It doesn't enhance it. So this is not relativism at all. It's acknowledging there's evil. There's things that need to be done, but it's actually pointing towards action instead of getting angry and tweeting about something and going, Hey, look at me. I'm really righteous because I got really angry about this. No sacrifice, give, do what you have to do, but you don't do it out of anger. You do it out of compassion and you do it out of conviction about defending the vulnerable. Yeah. And this is at the core of what we talk a lot about here uh, is leadership, right? That a leader is willing to confront a really difficult situation and have a conversation about that. Now, if that leader runs in there with, you know, fist swinging and emotions out of control, that's not going right. to go well. And, and so it's a, a centering process of, you know, leaving the offense to God and, but moving forward and confronting the situation with strength yeah. and knowing that it needs to be taken care of. Yeah, and a clear mind. Just do what needs done. Yeah. So this is a great way to live as a dad, too, or a husband. I'll just speak to that because that's my experience. I know you have women listening, too, but like, yeah. a lot of guys think anger is called for because it's like the masculine thing to do. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not the masculine thing to do. It's not even masculine. You can be a toddler and be angry, right? What your wife is looking for, she doesn't want to live with angry guy. <laughs> she doesn't think that's hot. Like, I really like it when my husband's angry. No one does. But she does like a man who is a man of action. Yeah. Calmly does what he needs to do. Doesn't punish the kids out of anger, but he disciplines the kids. You better believe it. He's very consistent about it. And he does it because it's the right thing to do. And he explains what he's doing. I mean, now that, now we're talking about a guy who's a great husband and a great dad. This anger thing is a lot of people's their biggest problem. Mm-hmm. Their biggest one. They've never dealt with it before because honestly, even the church never talked about it, never explained it. Never got into it. And so they're dealing with anger their whole lives and it's interfering with relationships and it's threatening people and it's causing them all sorts of problems. And they can be set free from it just by practicing forgiveness. Yeah, so true. And and really comes down to this, that it's okay to contend with somebody, but, or I'm sorry, it's okay to have conflict with somebody, but not contention with somebody, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a fine line. You know what? The peacemaking theme is so good because- it is making it, right? Like peace doesn't just happen. Right. You have to make it. So you have to be proactive about this, whether it's at work or your home or wherever. And I think this forgiveness thing is the way to do it. Say so you're at peace. There is no peace making unless you're at, at peace yourself. Same thing, like people want a just society, but like, okay, are you willing to be a just person? We want all these things, but like at an individual level, are you willing to do that? But that's mm-hmm. where it starts. So this, it is, you have to be proactive because you don't luck into forgiving people. It's work. You don't luck into this. You got to do it, but it gets easier. But that's, that's how we make peace happen. Yeah. I love that framing as a, it's just a proactive thing. It's not the, it's not the default setting where in 2023, any void is typically filled with anger, with contention. It absolutely is. So we have to be proactive in filling it with peace. Yeah. That's our easiest default is anger. Yeah, that's our easiest one. That's where we go. And it's not a laudable thing. It's a natural thing. It's a human thing, but we can grow. And that's what's wonderful is like when people hear this whole message. And again, it's counterintuitive, but like, hey, okay, so you learned something new. That's all right. That's cool. Jesus is constantly telling us to rethink. 
So, okay, I've always practiced. I always thought my anger was righteous, but I can learn new stuff. I can continue to grow. That's a good thing, right? So I do encourage people, instead of just dismissing it out of hand, to go, okay, maybe maybe God's showing me something new here. And that's that's cool. Yeah, that's powerful. What do you say to those? I mean, because we talk a lot about forgiveness. I mean, generally in, in a Christian setting, you know, we know the importance of it. Sometimes it's harder to forgive and let it go. I mean, what do you, how do you speak to those people who are just, who have suffered some of the worst abuses and yeah, I mean, how do they move forward with this message? Yeah. A couple things about that. I do. I think it's my pinned tweet where I said, people ask me, does this mean I have to, if I have to forgive, do I have to stay in, you know, this relationship with this abusive person, this horrible person? Like, no, that's not what forgiveness is. You can have boundaries. The weird thing is, though, if you don't forgive them, you are staying in relationship with them in mm-hmm. your head the rest of your life. Forgiveness is freedom from this. So if you want to continue this power that this abuser has had in your life, well, then don't forgive them because that, that will continue to oppress you. What Jesus is saying is not friendly to abusers when he's telling us to forgive. This is for our own good. Here's the other thing, though, too, and I make a point of this all the time, and I may have already said this, but just to revisit this point, it's hard to forgive. It's harder. It's way harder to live a life of unforgiveness. Hmm. So, yeah, that's difficult, but it's not as hard as the other thing. And I've gone through stuff, too. It's funny because when people are like, oh, how could you write a book like this? If you had like before they've read it. Like, you must not have gone through any problems. Like, oh, my goodness, that's hilarious. You have no idea. (laughs) So, yeah. 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 And it really is at the essence, at the core of uh, Christianity, you know, this message. It's sometimes the execution. That's why I appreciate books like this or perspectives like yours, that it's really helps us begin to apply some of these principles we've learned about or should have learned about all our life. So, Yeah. I think that's so important. And I I love what N.T. Wright said. He's a... A theologian, but he said, he was talking about the church. He said, Jesus's conception of church was small communities of people walking out his way of forgiveness together. Hmm. So of all the issues that we can talk about related to church or Christianity or whatever, it's like his way of forgiveness. I think this is actually what it means to be a disciple is to live like this. And it forces us to grow up in some areas and to be humble and to be very grateful, which is a way healthier way to live. And I can see why Jesus said his way is light. You know, he comes to give us rest. Like this is the way to rest. I'm absolutely convinced of it. Yeah. Anything, you know, just speaking to a leadership audience, if they have someone maybe in their congregation who you run across these from time to time where, oh, I haven't spoken to my dad in 10 years or I don't talk to that sister or I mean, how can a leader maybe encourage them to take the steps to begin offering forgiveness? Well, there's the selfish answer, which is you should take buy so many copies of Unoffendable and just airdrop them (laughs) over your entire area. (laughs) Nice. Love it. But no, honestly, I think talking to them about that, like, do you want to forgive this person long-term? Do you want, or you don't want to have, do you want to have to deal with this the rest of your life? And then if they answer, well, they do just say, well, what, this person's probably never going to do anything to warrant it. They're probably never going to apologize. Yeah. You don't want to live with this, do you? Don't you want to move on to other stuff? And it's not minimizing what happened. I think you can empathize with them too. You can talk about, I'm so sorry this happened to you. This is, this should never have happened. It's so wrong. Ultimately though, we all have stuff and um, it's an act of worship to God. It's saying to God, I love you so much. I'm going to set this aside on your behalf. 
Not again, not that person doesn't deserve it. They don't. God does. So this is what he wants for Christmas. This is like his, this is his love language. It's actually us being like him, like, like his, his children. Yeah. So. No, that, that empathy component really, really struck me because I think a lot of people, you know, I'm thinking that in that context of maybe a leader, a pastor speaking to someone in their congregation for them to encourage forgiveness. I think the other person often hears, well, you're saying that what they did shouldn't have hurt me, but it did hurt me. And so to empathize and say, of course that, that I can completely <clears throat> see how hurt exists there. And I would have hurt too. Like, I'm not surprised yeah. that you hurt. And that's, and to just have someone that's willing to sit with them in that hurt. I mean, that's Christ-like to, to the core is that he'll come and sit with the hurt and heal the hurt. Yeah. And so to have somebody yeah. else that's willing to do that, that empathy goes a long way. And then you can sort of broach the conversation of like, so, I mean, what does this look like long-term, right? That's powerful. Really. And, and honestly, encouraging forgiveness is also a part of that empathetic piece. You are being empathetic. You want this person to be free of this now. It's not about the other person now. It's about you, you know, me and you. And I love you. I want the best for you. So I want you to forgive because I want you to see forgive, like freedom from this. Yeah, It's all empathy. If it's just a sermon point without explanation, it can be difficult. But Jesus tells us to do this. And it's like somebody at the time could have said, well, Jesus, you shouldn't say something like that. You don't know about the abuse I've gone through. Like, no, he does. He does. He's saying this for, for your own good so that you can heal. Yeah. He's saying this. Anybody who's in like AA or any kind of program like that, they know what I'm talking about. It's part of the healing process. They have to go back and forgive everybody. They know, like they jive with unoffendable instantly. They're like, they're already humbled. They know they need to be grateful for what God's done for them. And they know they have to forgive people or their life is messed up. Right. Yeah. This other point, uh, and I'm actually just finishing up a manuscript around the concept of godly disappointment and how that impacts huh. us in such a negative way. And you said this line in there in the book that says, we're displeased with others because we're convinced God is displeased with us. Unpack that for us. What do you mean by that? Well, I think deep down, a lot of us do think God's angry with us mm-hmm. because especially if we haven't confessed our sin or gotten it out there, if you get it out there and you talk to people and they're able to go, Hey, you know, that's me too. I'm so glad I got like the shame is gone. But if you don't, you can kind of go, oh, yeah, I hear myself talking about Christian stuff or trying to be a good person, but I know deep down what I do. And so you have this conflict and you think God must be angry with me. He wants to leave or he's already left. And that fuels a lot of anger towards other people that comes out. Because you think that's the godly thing. God's angry at me. I'm angry at you. We're supposed to, that's righteous, right? The truth is there's wonderful freedom in still showing up even though you're a sinner and you still talk to God. Because even when Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't abandon them. He went with them. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. He shows up. He's like, Adam, where are you? It's a lament. It's like we were walking together. But Adam's ashamed of himself now. So Adam doesn't show up for their walk. And like, I just realized I'm going to continue to walk with him. I'm going to continue to show up and pray and talk while I'm walking my dog. I talk to God, even though I am a sinner and I'll thank him for his forgiveness. And I'll talk about what we're doing in life together. And that really breathes a lot of peace into my life too, so that I'm not angry with other people. Cause I'm, I'm like, no, God's not angry at me, <laughs> loves me. Yeah. And you, you alluded to it earlier, just in a different framing, but it seems like we can only offer to people what we think God is offering us. And so when we feel Man, like he's yeah. offering us grace, we can give grace. But if we feel like he's just giving us anger and disappointment, how can we not just be disappointed with everybody around us, you know, and angry Man. with them? 
That's right. That's why I think every day has to start with us revisiting Calvary again. Yeah. So that we're so aware, just what you're saying, we are aware of what God has given for us. Now, I extend that to other people. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Any other concept or point or principle that we need to make sure we cover before we wrap up or? No, I mean, I think you did a great job of asking about it. I appreciate oh, yeah. that you've like looked through the material and stuff. That's very helpful. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, be, you writing it. So Cool. Sometimes I'll have like a radio interviews or something and Don's on me. The radio host has never thought about this before. And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so it's really been a pleasure. Oh, good. Well, and I want to mention, uh, you know, we talk a lot about um, men's issues or men's dynamics in the church and whatnot. And I'm really passionate about that. And you have another book called The Men We Need. Maybe give us a, a quick trailer for that book. Yeah. Okay. So I think a lot of people define masculinity negatively. Like, don't do this. It's not bad. It's not this other thing. Don't do that. And a lot of that's very fair. But I'm like, so if you're growing up or you're an adult even, what is distinctly masculine and beautiful and good and life-giving? Distinctly. Because people could say, well, you're supposed to be like Jesus. Right. So women are too. I got it. But what's the masculine thing? And I'm taking a shot at it in this book. And I'm saying very quickly in the book, I think we're supposed to be doing the job that Adam was given originally that wasn't given to Eve. It was keeper of the garden. Hmm. So you protect people around you. you, Like you protect this garden, your sphere of influence, the vulnerable little plants and shoots. These people around you are allowed to bloom because you're there. Like you cultivate them. You protect them. Things that wouldn't survive out in the wild can survive in your garden because you're protecting it. And so I think that's it. I honestly think and when, when women see us do that, they're very attracted to it deeply. Like they think it's really attractive. And I'm telling guys, like, even though women find this very, I'm not telling you so that you'll be attractive. I'm telling you because I think women are so brilliant and intuitive. They know what we're made for deep down. So when they see us protect our families, they see us not rip people with our words. We make people safer around us. We make people feel more secure because we're there. You don't have to be jacked. You don't have to have a big truck. You don't have to be a Navy SEAL. But if you just exude this security, your wife knows you'll always show up. She's going to find you very attractive. And so I then have six decisions that set men apart to be able to do this keeper of the garden thing. And so that's that's the idea of the book. Awesome. And so yeah. would you recommend it primarily to maybe men who are just trying to find their place in the church or in the gospel to, to find masculinity? Or, yeah. All because I've noticed even guys who kind of think are like, yeah, that's right. That's right. But you haven't articulated it. I think if you read the book, you'll be able to articulate it in church or oh, to cool. younger guys or other guys. Like, and I think women, I've had teenage girls like led by adult women that read this book because they're like, that is it. That is what we're supposed to bring out of men. That's it. Right. Like you can shape men's character pretty easily with affirmation. So when they, this idea of like, that is what masculinity is actually crystallizes for people. Well, that's really that's great because now you have a vision. Yeah. You can hit a vision. You know, I just needed the vision. Now I get it. Yeah. Awesome. Really helpful. Well, if people do want to learn more about you, your work, your your podcast shows, or uh, where would you send them? You can go to brandhanson.com. It's with an E-N. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll wind up with the other guys, which is awesome. I think he has a city planning thing, which is cool. But it's brandhanson with an E-N.com. And my podcast is called Brant and Sherry Oddcast. So you can listen to that if you... <laughs> if you want. And um, we have a lot of fun on that. Cool. Awesome. Well, the last question I have you, Brant, is as 
you know, whether you would categorize yourself as a leader or not, I, I would definitely would as, as you introduce these awesome ideas and perspectives to the world. So my question is, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? It makes me really dependent. Like I didn't set out like I want to be a leader, but to the extent that God has used my platform or whatever, it makes me very aware. I would run all this into the ground. So I have to, I have to follow him. I think there's only one expert in the world and the rest of us are novices. And I think Jesus is the expert. And so I I can see where Paul was coming from. He's like, you want to follow me? Cool. I'm following Christ. Like let's follow together. So I think when you have responsibility or you have influence, I think it's a wonderful blessing. And I want to be a good steward of that. So I have to, I'm forced to go back to him because I don't necessarily feel up to it myself. That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. Hey, listen, would you do me a favor? You know, everybody's got that friend who listens to a ton of podcasts, and maybe they aren't aware of Leading Saints. So would you mind taking the link of this episode or another episode of Leading Saints and just texting it to that friend? You know who I'm talking about, the friend who always listens to podcasts and is always telling you about different podcasts. Well, it's your turn to tell that friend about Leading Saints. So share it. We'd also love to hear from you. If you have any perspective or thought on this episode, you can go to leadingsaints.org and actually leave a comment on the episode page or reach out to us at leadingsaints.org slash contact. Remember, we'd love to have you at our next in-person retreat. Go check out the different options and locations where we're having these at leadingsaints.org slash gathering. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.